Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. So you and I, when we decided really to, even before we decided to do a podcast, long before that, um, to get into gaming, the first game we looked at uh, was Pathfinder. It was. And you were down here visiting yep. with our friend Brian and Brian mm-hmm. and you and I ended up at a game store. Yes. And that's when you picked up uh, the paperback version of the yes, I did. first edition core handbook. That's right. Core rule yep. core, you, that, that's right. Yep. So, um, and I still have, mm-hmm. I have a, a collection of them because I find the Pathfinder materials yeah fascinating and someday we'll get back to it mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. i think i i jumped in over my head thinking that i could gm um a game as intricate and crunchy as pathfinder s- without really having ever gm'd before and and it's funny because you you pushed and pushed and pushed me until i gave in and said okay i'll try pathfinder and and the thing that you kept telling me you loved about Pathfinder was the crunchiness. Crunchiness, yeah. but it is—it it is harder to on-ramp into Pathfinder than some of the others. Well, and and in all honesty, I got I got a little uh, antsy to do some playing, and so mm-hmm. um, you know I had read obviously that that D and D was a little easier, and that's the path we went down. Yep, but, and, and it is it yeah. by V. 5e D&D compared to 1e Pathfinder, also known as 3.5, right? It, it is the difference. Absolutely. Yeah. But I was always fascinated by how quickly, from a business perspective, how quickly Pathfinder took hold. And it was really, you know, obviously mm-hmm. not being around at that time, 4.0, D&D 4.0 was very divisive. Yep. Um, and that was the onus behind Pathfinder using the open source, the OGL license. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. being able to develop their own game from it. Mm-hmm. So it's always, you know, I still want to play someday mm-hmm. um, and get into it. I even thought about finding a way to play online um, yeah. with people that are much more experienced. Well, and I'll tell you, Brad, after talking to this episode's guest, yeah, I'm not, I didn't say this to you at the time because we, we just didn't, we had other things we had to cover, but I'm finding myself interested in trying second edition. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you, I am too. Well, that brings up a, a we'll, we'll intro um, our guest, but I'm going to, mm-hmm. because we record these with the idea that when you listen to them, um, there will be at times, you know, we talk about when shows are launching and things like that, but we try to keep it for, you know, poor choice of wording, time agnostic. Yep. So that when you listen to them, that being said, I'm going to break that rule because yesterday we had to um, be with a friend mm-hmm. Um, under, mm-hmm. under, you know, just sad Difficult circumstances. circumstances yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we were actually for the first time in a year, more than I can't a year, remember. Yeah. yeah. About a year uh-huh. where we were all together, our, our, you know, our core group of people, oh, even if it was oh, for a short period of time, at least a year, I think it's actually more like two plus. Well, no, no, we both... because we were up. Oh, no. We were up. We were up for. Oh no, you were up for my, for yeah, us, my daughter. You're yeah. right. So okay. So so 
Yeah. So about a year. You're right. Yeah. About a year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So again, I broke it, but it was, it was fun to get together and it for was. us to actually talk. And, and mm-hmm. our friend's son actually came up to you and said, Oh, I hear you've got a podcast. And it's like, well, we so, both do. <laughs> yeah. yeah so, and then he told us about his GMing and how he, how he's all about world building. And Brad, you got all excited because you're like, yeah, world building, world building. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I, I'm, breaking the rule here and talking about that but that being said we actually um the guest that we are going to have on that we've met with is ron lundine this week yep and what what does he do brad from from paizo yes he um, who is the um pathfinder and i can't remember that he actual is the name. development manager thank you for, sorry ron. I, well no because that because oh. Because every company seems to have a slightly different name for it. So yeah. he is in 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 colloquial terms the grand poobah yeah. for Pathfinder, which is a heck of a thing. It also turns out, Brad and I discovered he is just the sweetest person. Uh, we yeah. we could have, Ron, we could have stayed on for another couple hours with you, but we assumed you had writing to do. Um, and a uh, life it, to live. And uh, yeah, and uh, thank God we don't have those encumbrances. <laughs> uh, clearly, because we have a podcast on middle age role playing. But yeah. we digress. Um, Ron was just a pleasure to talk to, and really, um, really enlightened us about Pathfinder. But, but I think as our as our our guests will hear, our audience will hear that that's not really what we ended up talking about. No, and and just I mean, many of you who who know Paizo and know of Ron. Um, we'll know this, but uh, for those that don't, um, he's a pretty prolific writer, uh, oh, even oh. beyond his work with Way Pathfinder. Beyond. Yeah. So, and he talks about that during the episode. So, yep. um, it's another theme where we talk to folks going back to prior episodes where talking about the writing and creativity. And, you know, it really, what's the best way to put this? Even if they're involved with a gaming system, their creativity has no boundary yeah and he seemed to be one of those individuals yeah where that's legit but you know for i think i speak for both of us brad but certainly for me before we hop over to that interview it's a bit longer but again it i mean we we ended it out of courtesy uh we it it was so easy to speak with ron and he had so much to say and it wasn't just about role playing and it wasn't just about creativity it was about being happy and doing what one loves, and and finding one's niche, uh, torpedoes be darned sometimes, right? And so um, there's a theme with that. Yeah, there's a there's little bit a of a theme with that yeah. with our recent um, interviewees. So mm-hmm. yeah, you hit it on the head. Yeah. So so with that, everybody, uh, we bring you our uh, interview with Ron Lundin. Enjoy. Ron Lundeen lives in the rural hinterlands outside of Seattle, Washington, where he finds the climate a pleasant change from his native Illinois. He and his brave wife, Stephanie, are outnumbered by three delightful but mischievous children and their ever-increasing number of animals. After a lengthy career as a corporate attorney, Ron took a full-time position with Paizo Incorporated as a developer and now development manager, working with freelancers to create fabulous worlds and monstrous threats for the Pathfinder and Starfinder role-playing games. 
He also designs games in his free time, creating a dizzying variety of perils, plots, and legends. Ron's favorite RPG design work is adventure writing to help others share exciting stories with their friends. Although his first game design credit came back in 1993, Ron has recently written for Paizo, Wizards of the Coast, Ulysses Spiele, Peterson Games, Rogue Genius Games, Legendary Games, and many others. Ron also runs his own gaming company, Run Amok Games. So Ron, thanks for joining us tonight. I know that if we aren't careful, um, you'll never want to talk to us again because we'll just keep, we'll have the Megazode, Mega episode to end all Mega episodes because we could talk. Um, but we want to talk, obviously, obviously you have a little bit of a connection to Pathfinder. So we'll talk about that a little. Um, sarcasm, um, good natured. And then after that, I want to, um, and I think we both wanted, we kind of talked about this a little bit before, um, kind of get in because you yeah. have had a, and I'll use this term with sincerity, a prolific career in writing that just yeah. goes beyond, yeah. just goes beyond just what you're doing with Pathfinder alone. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, well, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. It, it is in fact, uh, it's, it's, whew, it's been a lot. I look back at sometimes at some of the, the, the extent of what I've written and I don't, I can remember some of the long evenings over the, you know, over the keyboard and I can remember some of the excitement of, oh, now this finally product's finally out. I get a look at it. That product's finally out. I get to talk wow. about it. Um, but those, those moments kind of add up to what has turned out to be a pretty prolific uh, freelance career thus far. Seriously. And so, you know, for those that obviously, I think, I think there are people out there in the, in the Twitterverse and the podcast verse who are in our, in the RPG realm, they've probably heard your name or seen you or know who you are. Um, but for those, for the, probably the three people that don't, um, you are, and I want to get this right, just to yeah. make sure you're the, you're the Pathfinder development manager, right? For uh, that's correct. That's okay. correct. Yeah. So, we have, we have a number of different develop. There are actually a few development managers for different lines. Uh, you know, my, my peer and my good friend, Jason Keeley does it for Starfinder. Uh, Linda Zias Palmer is doing it for the whole organized play program, which is very yeah, yeah. extensive at Paizo. Yeah, uh, and I'm on the I'm on the Pathfinder side. My my area of uh, of interest is primarily our uh, monthly adventure path lines that tell the okay. cohesive stories over several month products, uh, mm -hmm. and then our Lost Omens line. With the advent of Pathfinder Second Edition, yeah, we started a line that's very lore focused books, a lot of crunch in them, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. lot of rules to, to support that. Um, but we've been able to sort of delve really deeply into a lot of areas of our world, and those have been phenomenally well received. Uh, so. That's been that's been a lot of fun to see people so excited about the different things we're able to tell them about the world that we've uh, the the Pathfinder world that we've created. So I'm looking at my bookshelf and I recognize. It, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brad, Brad's bookshelf is a source of constant amusement for us both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I have I have a I have a I have a bit of a first edition uh, collection and a very fastly growing second edition. Yeah, collection. you do. So a point a point on that for context though yeah. though Ron. So um. Now, full disclosure, I've I've got a thing. I was thinking about this um on a walk earlier today. I have only played, I don't know, Brad, half a dozen, certainly less than a dozen sessions of Pathfinder. Don't give me that look. Okay. I I'm I'm first one of these play, first edition. Oh yeah, I've never I had we we've been talking for the past two years about playing second edition. Mm -hmm. Um, we ended up doing a podcast instead, and now we just don't play. But 
but I, I, I like, I'm one of those guys who I, I love buying some of these books and I like reading them, which is one of the reasons I'm so taken with, with a lot of your work and what you do, because they're just, this stuff is a joy to read. Like I look over at, albeit my much smaller collection in of all of these games than Brad's, but I look over and like, I spent hours flipping through the core rule book, right? Mm -hmm. Just to absorb it. I still think, and I've said this in multiple episodes, I still think the first edition game mastery guide is mm -hmm. simply one of the best GM guides ever written for any game, right? And so I, I, I like reading that stuff, but I bring this up only because so when Brad and I got back into role-playing, um, I don't know, six, seven years ago now, six-ish years ago now, when, when I had reached out and said, hey, I want to geek out, are you interested in this? Um, Brad twisted and twisted and twisted my arm. Let's play Pathfinder. I actually did it. I was one of those rare people who didn't know anything about it because I'd been so far out of RPGs for so, I mean, since like early grad school, I'd only ever played West End Star Wars. And okay. so, so for me, for us, Pathfinder first edition was our return into RPGs which was just very, very cool. So then like looking at what you've written, it's like, oh yeah, I've seen lots of these books. I mean, look at, look at how he's touched all of these things. So it's just very cool because it's, it's bringing us home like six years ago because it was Pathfinder and Paizo and the work that you guys all did that got us back into, like th that was the genesis of how this all began. So it's kind of neat. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, that, that Game Master Guide in particular for first edition Pathfinder is very good. I, for as much as I've done, that might be one of my most referenced books because I'm like, all right, well, I need, I'm writing an adventure that has a, you know, kind of a subsystem that does this kind of thing, or I'm right. writing this adventure or want to have set up this encounter where I've got NPCs of this type. And there's a whole yeah. bunch of sort of plug and play mm -hmm. sort of NPCs right there. Just, mm -hmm. just very useful book. Um, I yeah. feel like a lot of that utility is what we wanted to preserve in the second edition Game Mastery yeah. Guide. And I yeah. now now I reach for that as much as I used to reach for the first edition one when I was mm -hmm. writing for uh, nice. writing more for first edition. But yeah, it's a it's a it's a phenomenal supplement if you want to take your stories kind of beyond sort of what the core rule book is going to be. Right. I can I can right. set up a corridor full of monsters that you fight, but as soon as I want to tell a story of intrigue exactly. in the outer planes and stuff like that, that mm -hmm. is that's how you really get kind of into the meat of the really great campaigns. Yeah. 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 And that's so what you... pulled me about the guide. Cause I said just because the narrative guidance yeah. I thought was just off the hook. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 That was one I think that was one of the first ones that you bought outside of the player's handbook. Um, the I think it was the very book. first yeah. book. Yeah. Yeah. book. Sorry, mm -hmm. wrong mm -hmm. terminology. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, so, I hey, sure so... do. I've written plenty of fifth edition stuff. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> for three point five edition, a little bit of fourth edition. I mean, I've been all Jeez. over Dungeons and Dragons. So, so yeah, you. So talking about that. So you know, you know, looking at your your background, mm -hmm. um, you had a career in law. Mm -hmm. um, before you decided to kind of make a change. Um, what kind of, what was your, what was the onus or the reasoning in your own mind at the time yeah. behind doing that? Well, I was doing, I was doing quite a lot of freelance writing mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, in the days, you know, as a mm -hmm. healthcare transactional attorney, um, I, you know, I, I liked it. It was a, kind of a fun job to have in a lot yeah. of ways. 
Um, I was with a big firm in downtown Chicago and then was in-house with Walgreens for a while. And I liked it, but that was what I do during the day. And then in the evenings when I didn't have a game of some kind, I was writing for a game of some kind. So I was realizing that I was doing, you know, the legal stuff in the day, the writing in the evening. I thought there probably is a way to flip that right? Mm-hmm. Make my career in right. gaming and shift over to that. And then just do legal work on the side, keep up my law license, which I've still done, still do a little nice. bit of legal work on the side. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, and, and but make the bulk of what I do, the, the gaming, and I got to tell you, I made that switch right at the end of 2017. Uh, absolutely have not regretted it. it's been great for me. I feel like it's been really good for my family. Um, moving, even though I uprooted everybody, there was a period of transition uprooting everybody from the Chicago land area mm-hmm. out to, uh, I guess you could call it the Seattle land area. Nobody calls it that. <laughs> we live in a, uh, but a very rural area. Now I got a more rural than I ever thought I'd be. We got chickens in the backyard and, uh, wow. you know, it's, we have one stoplight in our town, literally one stoplight in our town. Wow. Uh, I went from being very urban in the heart of living in the heart of Chicago to, having chickens uh but the uh but anyway so it's been a lot of life changes but it's it's uh, man it's nothing that i i'd go back to right they yeah, yeah. i looked into this at first and they said that anybody who tends to make a shift to turn your hobby into your career right about the three-year mark is when you regret it and you and a lot of people want to go back to the career oh, that they had before oh. so i gotta tell you 2020 which obviously had a lot of other things going on right um I was, I was a little bit worried. I'm like, this is my time. My three years is coming up. Am I going to want to go back? But I don't want to go back right now, but tomorrow, the next day, next month, when am I? And then when 2021 rolled around, I'm like, oh, whew, I still love it. I can, I'm allowed to still love it. So, Hilarious. And you clearly still enjoy it. It's so much fun to be able to do. How did it, how did it work? I mean, obviously you work at home. I, you know, Jason, Jason's hybrid. I work at home. Um, how did 2020 work? You know, obviously RPGs in general saw a yeah. real, rena- they had been seeing a renaissance before the pandemic mm-hmm. Yep. with everybody at home. They were exploded. looking for things yeah. to do and exploded. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really feel like there is uh, speaking from, uh, from a sort of a higher level of the industry, from what I can tell I'm in the industry. So I don't know, see the forest for the trees. My general sense is, before the pandemic, there had already been some movement to try to do gaming on virtual tabletops. Companies like Roll20 already yep. existed. Yep. Um, and I think even the bigger game companies like Paizo were already talking about, well, should we be devoting any resources to this virtual tabletop business? Mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this virtual tabletop nonsense, some might say. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of the people who are in charge of gaming companies are people who've been doing, been in the business for a very long time. They have the mindset of we produce books or we produce magazines and we right. produce physical things for people to physically sit around the table and share. Right. No, I love that. I grew up doing that. I love writing it. I still love playing it. And and I I kind I was kind of one of those people. But what the pandemic did is it really put into focus that we've got to be thinking ahead mm-hmm. for people who don't I, who can't leave their house and still mm-hmm. want to be able to game mm-hmm. and they've mm-hmm. got to be able to do it over you know, over, over Zoom, over Roll20, any number of the other ones, Foundry, Fantasy Ground, some of these have just exploded right. Right. because people want to get out of their, 
they want to get their gaming, but they, they can't get out in order to do it in a group. And a lot of people have realized that they're, it's just so much easier. It's more comfortable to do it that way. Yeah. And one of the things that I'd never really considered, uh, but, it, but the pandemic has kind of thrown into sharp relief for me, is that being able to get together socially in order to play games has a little bit of a privilege requirement. You have to yes. be somebody who has the free time, the ability to travel, you know, maybe by bus, maybe by car, usually by car, whatever, get to somebody's house, yeah. you know, have the few hours to sit around the gaming table and the time mm -hmm. sort of usually in the evenings or on the weekends, you've got the free time to do that. And perhaps most importantly, you're comfortable with going out, hanging out with other people and having sort of the social aspect of that. And there are a number of people mm -hmm. who are involved with gaming, who've wanted mm -hmm. to be involved with gaming who either can't get out like that or they're extremely introverted. It makes them mm -hmm. uncomfortably social mm -hmm. situations. These people are now able to sort of seize the ability to game in a way that they never could before. Yeah. You know, I've heard of people who work, they work evening shifts, evening into the night. And so none of their, they couldn't get into game with any of their friends, mm -hmm. but they're now playing games with people in Europe because those people are on a calendar yeah, that's cool a da daily schedule they can meet so the opportunities have just been amazing for a lot of people mm -hmm. who just didn't i never saw how maybe how limited and focused in-person gaming was until i was able to see how big virtual gaming expanded mm -hmm. the entire industry mm -hmm. and i think in a lot of ways that's here to stay mm -hmm. does that affect your writing that awareness uh, it absolutely should, but I don't know that it does because the, what I'm writing for, for a lot of companies is still something that's going to be on right. paper. And mm -hmm. even if the paper that it's on is something that is a PDF that's going to go up in front of a screen, right. the writing that I do isn't, it isn't code that goes into a, uh, um, right. uh, into one of these things, I mean, mm -hmm. but it, but it can be some of the stuff that I write gets translated by some of the virtual tabletop companies mm -hmm. into something that mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the third party press stuff I do. I've had people reach out to me say, Hey, do you, can I take this and sort of turn it into a kit that people can then download and be able to play? Oh, nice. That's not what I'm writing it for. And mm -hmm. I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm a little bit worried, even though I'm getting, I feel like I'm really, really good at it. I, I feel like in a manner of speaking, I'm, I make really good buggy whips, right? Mm -hmm, there was a, mm -hmm. there was a time in history yeah. when the car was becoming more prevalent yeah. that it didn't matter how good a buggy whips you made for people that have horse and buggy. Uh, you're, yeah. you're just not going to be able to keep right. doing it. Right. It's not going to be sustainable. And so I wonder kind of a lot about how, if I'm writing for words on a page, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm servicing an increasingly smaller and smaller subset of gamers, unless the people that are doing conversion to virtual tabletop are doing it much bigger right. and broader. Right. And, and fortunately they are. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. uh, we do things like the, the, the uh, sort of the, the steampunk and guns uh, adventure path that we just put out, Outlaws of Alkenstar, is now the foundry has had taken a whole bunch of modules that they produce that you can okay. get and in order to play that on their virtual tabletop, for example. And that's a nice. you know, ton of fun to see. But that's not how that's not what it was how it was yeah, written. Right. There was another step. So interesting. But in effect, you when you're writing that, like you said, you're not you're but are you really um, isn't it open enough that it could be used instead of it being like a buggy whip, it's something else that could be used in a 
I love the analogy. I'm just trying to use it and I'm, <laughs> I'm, and I'm coming up poorly on it, but you know, you can, when I look at, especially the material that, you know, you and, and, and Pathfinder and even stuff that you, you do with run amok and all that, um, it seems to be translatable, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously a lot of people like to run miniatures and things like that. And you can do that now with virtual tabletops, but I don't, I haven't seen yet. Maybe it's my limited scope, how, the content creates that limitation, you know? Oh, no, the, it's, let me think about it this way. Uh, Jason mentioned earlier how much he likes having the books in order to read them. Mm-hmm. And I'm very aware that everything that I'm producing, every, every adventure I'm producing, every rule book I'm producing, it's really trying to simultaneously serve two audiences. One is the audience like Jason, who just wants to have sort of a really good story or a really clever description of a, Mm -hmm. one of the outer planes or an area or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then the, on the other side of that are people who want to use it in play. They don't want anything as far as the background, except what's going to be relevant when I'm running this at my table. A really good friend of mine who's sort of famous for running things cold, where he'd be like, oh, what am I going to run? Pull out. Very first time he's pulling an adventure off the shelf is when he's running it. And he's getting frustrated because he's got two full pages of backstory. He's like, I don't even have time for this. It looks like the first fight is against some ogres. Put your miniature down on the table. We're going to fight some ogres. (laughs) Right. And so trying to both tell a compelling story, but also include a lot of signposts for how you're actually going to play this with people. Right. What you're talking about, Brad, I think is a second component. If everything is very well signposted, that's going to translate really well into somebody doing it in a virtual tabletop environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes absolute sense. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. just, I, I tell you, to yeah. Jason, to you, both your to points we had earlier, yeah. um, the social aspect that, Paizo has put together with adventure paths and how you're seeing it translate even into the virtual world, especially after 2020. Um, you know, mm. obviously I still think it's pioneering, even though other organizations are try are looking and doing going down that path. Mm-hmm. Um, let me let me ask you. So, you know, obviously you have um, you have a lot of work you're doing with Paizo, but you've been you've done some, you've done again, a little good-natured sarcasm. You've done some writing outside of Paizo too. <laughs> A little bit. Yes. Yeah, actually quite a bit. The first published uh, writing that I ever had was answering a con. You mentioned West End Games Star Wars, which is a fantastic game. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did a, uh, a game that I loved in the early 90s called Torg, multi-genre role-playing game where you've got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of different realities of hitting the world. And now you've got your, my cyber person is going to learn to cast fireball, oh, and her, you okay. know, yeah. superhero. Cool. It just zany and i love yeah. it um but they had a contest for one of their different realities sort of a techno horror kind of reality a little bit of a uh you know the terminators you know a very you know grim future mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. hellraiser stuff anyway and they had a, a contest for submitting monsters to this monster book and i entered and i got a couple of my monsters in i was really really pleased and especially yeah. because i'm like ah that see, I've started now. This is my, yep. my entry into gaming. And at the time I was still finishing up college, but, uh, <laughs> um, but so it took a few years before I got, you know, the next thing, which became yeah. the thing after that, the thing after that and so on. Mm. So I've got a really good, uh, uh, sort of really, you know, Torg is one of those games that I've always really loved. I was, I was ecstatic when I heard they were relaunching it. And because mm-hmm. I'd had enough sort of writing experience in the industry, 
I sort of badgered my way into, hey, hey, let me write for you. Let me write for your relaunch of this game. And uh, I've written a couple things for Ulysses Spiel, the owners. They took it from, I think I took it from somebody who took it from West End Games. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, they did the relaunch. So I was able to do some writing for them. That was really kind of a dream come true because it was such an important game for me early on. Wow. And you've um, you've been writing since college. I have, yes. Wow. Yeah, that's a, it's a it's a long career. My my like I say, there was that first thing, and there were a few years before yeah. I started then writing for some of the early um, early Paizo work that they did. Mm-hmm. Uh, not when they were still doing it under the D and D rules, but I think it was just after their their Pathfinder first edition was kind of yeah. a thing. Yeah. Um, but I'd done some of the writing for a 3.5 campaign that Wizards of the Coast did. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of my writing has been with, with through Wizards of the Coast um, for the uh, uh, a lot of 3.5 edition, yeah. uh, third yeah. edition 3.5, and then a lot of fifth edition. A lot of the fifth edition work that I've done has been for uh, third party publishers who are using Neat. the um, open gaming license to produce mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, a lot of uh, exciting work in sort of different realms i got a uh again boast a little bit i did some work for peterson games for a fifth edition product they did wrote quite a lot of it called planet apocalypse which is here's how you sort of wreck up your whole game world because the (laughs) armies of hell have invaded and they can't be stopped and you're just trying to save what you can before the armies of hell roll everything over planet apocalypse is just very daring and the in the nihilism of it anyway i ended up writing a very big chunk of that book and it got nominated for a couple of Ennies last nice. year. Nice. So nice. Congrats. Um, I am That's now awesome. any, any, I am now an any nominated game. See, they right uh, the next yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's that has, you know, obviously Jason and I coming back into it, and especially with the podcast, we dove even further. And it became very apparent quickly that that to to have that yeah. as a item on your gaming CD deal. is mm-hmm. a big deal. So yeah. And that, Jason, for the record, I'm not allowed to do a lot of typing while we're talking, because otherwise you'll hear the click clacking as we're talking. Because he, Brad, likes to order while we're encountering yeah. things. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but, it's uh, actually, but I do have, totally I true. do have, but I, I have Planet Apocalypse. I'm not going to do I anything know, until I after. I, I knew exactly what you were going to do. I know you were. As soon as you said that, Ron, like as soon as I heard the word re-release, I could almost feel the force bend around you. Yeah, you could just see, you could see my eyes shift to the other screen because I'm, we're talking here and I'm looking here. Okay, so to just drift back for just a sec to, I think, you know, to, to Pathfinder, I'm, I'm just very curious if you can't or don't want to say anything don't obviously but this was i i think i saw this on your website but don't don't quote me i was looking at a because of, because you've you've written so much i was looking at the lists through different you know through like the wikis and all that too um because of the, the nice formatting am i correct that at some point there is coming out a pathfinder travel guide Oh, yes, the Lost Omens Travel Guide. That sounds fascinating. Can you this, say anything about that? Absolutely. This is amazing. I mean, should I? I don't know, but I will. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> so the Lost Omens Travel Guide is in in our in the line of the Lost Omens books. Yeah. One of the things the Lost Omens books don't do is they don't kind of do the same expected thing over and over. Our first book was here's our whole world, Lost yeah. Omens World Guide. Okay, it's yep. expected. Yep. The second one, you know, Lost Omens Character Guide. Here's how you can build characters and some organizations. And then Gods and Magic, you know, that's the point at which 
I think we really started to diverge, right? One of the right. one of the early books there was Lost Omens Legends, which is here's all the big movers and shakers in the world, both living and dead, right. that are that impact the world in a lot of ways. If you're in, you know, Forgotten Realms, it's your Elminster. If you're in your, uh, you know, it's your uh, it's your it's your big luminaries in the world, not the people you're going to ever fight, but the people who have yeah. founded entire nations yeah. or yeah. dynasties. That was a really interesting way to sort of get a new lens on our world. Who are the big who are the big movers and shakers? Um, we had a uh, one of the one of the bigger books we've done uh, early on was the Mwangi Expanse, our vision of of uh, fantasy Africa that is just really well received. Yeah. Uh, we did a lot of very uh, very good work in putting together something that is really approachable, seen from the people that are within it. Um, we had a lot of people of color do writing for it and the the adventure mm -hmm. path that goes along with it. Um, the uh, uh, But Travel Guide, to keep yeah. up the sort of the surprises, this is just kind of a book of, if you were, in, it's sort of your travel guide if you were a character in the game. So mm -hmm. it's, here's a, you know, here's a couple pages about popular sports. Here's a couple pages about fashion. Mm -hmm. Here's foods that you might eat. And we've Dude, included cool. some recipes in, that you can in the real world cook the food that you might eat uh, there. And, you know, even the, the dangerous nations, it's be like, well, be, be careful before you go to the Gravelands. As the name mm -hmm. indicates, it's not very safe, uh, you know. Here's here here's how here's where the trade routes are in the world. Oh, so it's cool. it's really a grab bag to sort of make the whole world come alive. And one yeah. of the things, the people that that worked on that, the people that led that book, uh, on my team, uh, Luis Loza and Eleanor Farron. Uh, one of the things Luis was telling me the other day, he's like, any one of these little sections in the travel guide, I'd love to do a whole book about. Right? right. I could do a whole right. book about what trade is like all over the world and who the major trading houses are and how they but we got trade compressed into about four pages in the travel guide because you got to get on to something else you got to get on to, it's a know, travel guide exactly yeah. exactly um so that that i think i don't yet have the physical one to hold in my hand for that yeah. but i'm very excited to have that. so that must become i mean that's coming out sometime this year i'm assuming Yes, I think it, it might even be within the next couple of months. I should know my oh, nice. release dates better yeah. than, than well, I do. Well, and, you know, I mean, uh, what we've been hearing from so many writers, you know, creatives, just people in the industry, is that those release dates have become so wonky anyways. They have. And that's yeah. across the right. across the industry with yeah. uh, logistical issues, shipping issues, pricing. Um, it's wow. It's really startling to me. I'm not... I'm not involved with the actual sort of pricing of our books, but yeah. talking to people that are third-party publishers, smaller press publishers who actually are involved, they've expressed to me that, you know, if you, a three-week difference of when you order your book can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And if yours on a much bigger scale, it'd be thousands and thousands of dollars different, just wow. whether you order at the beginning of a month or the end of a month. Okay. The, the wow. variance in prices. Yeah. Is this all you like with with what you're talking about, you know, the obviously supply chain issues and all of that in generally speaking, has it affected how you and your team have had to come at the work you're doing? You know, has it adjusted timelines and have you had right. to make course corrections and effect to to work on things? And Yes, yes. And let me let me give you a, uh, a big example that's only partially supply chain. But um, one of the things that I. I wanted to make sure we were doing. The Paizo was done even before I came on board, 
five years ago, was tying products together. Okay, we're going to give you a gazetteer of this land where vampires are in charge. And at the same time, we're going to have the six-part adventure path about this vampires trying to seize control. And you're the heroes who are going to take the vampire out, right? Yeah. Making sure all of those products kind of come together so that people who are interested in them can buy them at the same time takes a lot of coordination. And we have found that we've really dropped the ability to coordinate when products are being shipped a couple months later than expected or are otherwise not. Uh, they don't line up. Uh, I mentioned the Mwangi Expanse, the, 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 uh, our fantasy Africa. The six-part adventure part we did with that, as an example of what, uh, this, uh, this timing, six-part adventure path we did with that was called Strength of Thousands. And it's, it's a magic school right? The oldest and most uh, prestigious magic school in our world is in the fantasy Africa. And it's thousands and thousands of years old. And in this, in the six part adventure path, you start as like fresh new students and you've got to negotiate sort of new student things and other teachers who don't like you and stuff like that. But as you go up, you become, you become teachers. And eventually there's some threats to the entire school that, that you've got to save. So it's sort of a magic university, big arc, Mm-hmm. Um, we wanted to align that with a product that was a standalone product where you were separately, this is just sort of like a one-shot product where you were new students at this school. And we thought, oh, not only can somebody play this one-shot product and decide if they want to commit to, you know, a six month can take two years to play, whether you want to commit right. to an entire first level through 20th level campaign, right. but the students that are in that little one-shot kind of show up in the story of the big arc. Okay. It's kind of fun because well, your players are going to be who they are, but the students that you could have played in this one shot are also there because of logistical issues that one shot with the students came out two thirds of the way through our publication of this adventure path. So it was that at that point, it was kind of silly to think, Mm. Oh, now there's these new, do we want to go play these fresh faced young first level students? Or do we want to play the 15th level characters that we've worked hard to get from first through 15th level? Yeah, so what we've learned, to, to get to your question about what have we learned, is to maybe do less of that. It's now what we try to do is we try to put out something that's going to be, if something is the thematic link, it's got to stand on its own as far as, you know, quality and story and narrative goes. And we can link it to other stuff we've done. But now it doesn't matter if we're linking it to something that was a year ago. Because we don't know whether we're linking it yeah. to something that, even if we intended to link to something that was the prior a prior year's product, maybe it was 12 months ago. Maybe it ended up only being nine months ago. Maybe it only ended up being three months ago, right? So our, we're looking sort of a longer look at our catalog because we can't count on any individual product coming at exactly any particular time. Man. You know, and we've yeah. talked a little bit about writing and obviously we've talked about, you know, the logistics of it, but you get into some of this in your blog as well, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and generally speaking from a writing perspective. Yeah, so. I, I've heard a lot from other writers or people that want to write that they're a little bit intimidated by it, right? That they don't. Uh, and this is from the very beginning steps. Like I want to write, but I don't even know how. I don't even know how to start. Um, but there are also people who maybe they've managed to talk developer, somebody in the industry They've got their first assignment. They're like me when I wrote those sort of techno horror monsters. Like I've done a thing. Now right. what? Yeah. Right. So I want to I want to talk about here's what you can do next. Here's how you sort of work on your craft. Right. And so what I've done at my 
uh, at my blog at Runamuck Games. Um, the uh, Runamuck Games is my my independent press. I've got a couple of products I'd put out there. Frankly, if I didn't currently have a contract to be writing something, I was always writing something, and I would right. just put my right. own name on it and in my own press. I've done less of my own products because I my my writing slate is pretty darn full. Uh, mm-hmm. Otherwise, um, but what I did keep up is the blog that has advice to primarily RPG freelance writers. And this is uh, this is anything that's sort of very big picture from a narrative perspective, like what makes a good villain, right? Villains are villains because of actions they take, not because of characteristics they have, for example. Um, the uh, uh, And to very, very minor things, like here's how you properly draw an angled hallway on graph paper, right? Because there's a way to do it really badly that I see a lot for people so like it's 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 this way not that way um and then because i've got a legal background one of the things i've been able to do a lot of the times is break down some of the legal issues that people have questions about in the industry you know let me give you some specific terms you're probably going to see in a contract for your work what they actually mean is that good for you is that bad for you right how should you push back should you feel like you can push back at all yes how should you feel like you should push back and what should you be able Mm -hmm. to do? A lot of licenses out there, like the open gaming license that lets a lot of these third-party publishers do everything they're doing. Well, it's important to understand that. So kind of break that down. Community use licenses, uh, uh, things like that, that are, uh, that, that have a lot of legal terms that people tend to, to shy away from. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people defer to, well, I'm going to do it the way I see other people in the industry do it, assuming they must, understand all the legalities no 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 it let me help you by laying out some of the legalities yeah. so you understand them and then you can be one of these industry leaders so i've got a lot of uh, uh a lot of background in how i came up to do so much freelancing that i've done that i want to share with people and so i put it's a lot lovely. of those things out on the blog um i did scale that i've scaled that back a little bit in the uh in the last year or two uh, you know, some per- you know, personal projects that have come up that I knew would take a lot of my time and, and mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. I think I may be in the process of scaling that back a little bit more, but I'd want to make sure that all that stuff's still there for anybody mm-hmm. to look at. One you of have the- 11 years of blog entries here. You go back to 2011. <laughs> so even if you stop for a little while or pause for a little bit, there's still so much material out there. Plenty to catch yeah. up on. One of the things I did recently, it was kind of a really fun project. I wanted to show people that writing, framing out an encounter isn't hard. Framing out an adventure isn't hard. Framing out an entire campaign that goes from first to 20th level isn't very hard. And I, on my blog, I'm like, let me show you because I'm going to do it. And I wrote an entire so campaign cool. that goes from first wow. to 20th level. And, uh, and, and I put in a lot of that, my thought process behind it. I'm like, oh, well... It, What's it? This a lot of devils tend to be clustered around, you know, seventh through ninth level. So let's have a subplot where you fight some devils, maybe right there, and that's how I'll build that in. I ended up doing a uh, putting all that together into a single product with more stats, more art. It was you know two hundred and something pages that uh, I ended up running a Kickstarter on just recently that funded very successfully. Mm-hmm. I was very pleased with how well that did. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a little bit surprised because I'm like, well, people are paying for this. 
I already gave it to you for free. It's all, it's all on See, my blog. But, but it goes back, Ron, to this notion of the printed book, right? Remember, speaking of 2011, remember when books were dead and everyone was going to be on a Kindle? And, you know, I, I, I never bought that, right? No pun intended, right? That, that topped at like 10 to 12% of the market. And no matter how digital we go, there's even, right? Even, even in the most recent pic, uh, photo, from the third season of Picard, whenever that comes out, you see him writing on paper with a fountain pen, right? I, I, I totally get why people would buy that, even though you provided all of it for free. Yep, yep. I, and I do have to say as much, I mentioned the, the relaunch of Torg, Torg Eternity that I love. Um, I, as much as I love it, there are a bunch of electronic books in addition to the physical ones yeah. that I, they're sitting on my hard drive somewhere, but they're, those aren't the ones that I, I like, like you do, Jason. Those aren't the ones right. I take off just to read because they're enjoyable to read. That, those are the hard copies. Those are the actual physical books. Yeah. yeah. So. I, I'm curious because you have your fingers in so many things. These days, how, how many writing projects are you working on any given day, week, whatever? How, how, how spread are you? Um, quite, uh, I would have to say that my average to be working on at any one time, who, uh, it, I pause, it's a difficult question because, uh, if I'm talking about what writing projects am I doing for work, right. Is to get my paycheck right. from Paizo, right. yep. uh, any, about three at any time, okay. I'm generally in the process of doing all of the sort of the layout copy fit checking. I don't mm -hmm. do the layout, but I, I check the layout and get it ready for printer proof of one that I was working on months ago. Right. I'm in the middle of doing development work on one that's sort of right in front of me right now. That's taking up most of my time. Mm -hmm. And then I'm concepting whatever the next project's going to be. Sure. And I've each in any one day, I'm probably working on all three of those. The one that's almost done, the one that's in yep. the middle and the one that's going to yep. be starting. And as the, as the one ends, the other one moves yep. ahead through the, our art, our edit team. So right. three, three big projects at any one time. Each one of these mm -hmm. projects is probably several books, maybe okay. some ancillary products, but, uh, yeah. but, but the projects themselves. And then personally, I'm probably doing some writing. On average, I've probably got four outstanding assignments at a time. Right now, Jeez. I've only got two outstanding assignments. One of them is is very large it's an entire adventure path book so forty-five thousand words or something like that oh man um and then uh a smaller writing assignment for starfinder i mean paizo's uh space fantasy game mm -hmm. uh and it would probably be easier if i would accept batches of projects that were all the same rule system but i don't <laughs> so That's i'm always point. trying to, have to remember myself oh what are they in in this game they call it intimidate they, they call it intimidation uh, right. But in this other one, the skill's called intimidate. And in this other one, you're just making a charisma check. All right, uh, I'm try to keep it all straight in my mind. Wow, that's intense. But you enjoy doing it. You obviously, because you're, you've been doing it for a while and you, you know, do you like having, you know, you like having multiple things going on. Is it, does it keep it fresh for you or? Yeah, I do, I do. And I like being, the, the realities of deadlines means a lot of time it's, all right, what am I going to do? What's do the soonest? Um, I feel like a lot of my success has been built. I'm just simply being on time. Okay. Um, I, heard so, I heard somebody say uh, uh, earlier, 
it might have been Neil Gaiman in a graduation speech he gave or something. It's like if you're going to have a writer, you're going to have writing that's 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 really really good with a writer that is super communicative, does exactly what you want. Yeah. You want to get it on time. You're going to get two of those three things. You're right. Never- <laughs> right. It's like the engineering like, triangle. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's the same one exists for writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but being on time has been important for me. And I understand that it's, it's not, it's a creative process, but it's a creative process that exists within a business. And so being able to make sure the next people involved in the business can do their jobs is, is really important. Um, but anyway, so sometimes there's a little bit of a tyranny of the clock, right? I need to work on whatever is due the soonest. But in places where I've got a little, at times when I've got a little more flexibility, one thing I really like is finish up my work day, go have dinner with my family, maybe watch a show with my kids, send mm-hmm. them to bed. Mm-hmm. Then I come to sit down to work and I'm able to think, okay, what, what excites me most right now of all the projects that I'm working on? And then I get to dig into that for several hours. That's really and cool. that's, I, I love that. That's, that's wonderful. Having a lot yeah. of different projects gives me a lot of flexibility in that regard. Yeah. Hmm. Go ahead, Brad. I'm soaking it up because I'm just fascinated by, yeah. by the, the amount of, of content that you continually are able to work on and, and come out. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, if you, so from a playing perspective, yeah. do you ever have time to even play yeah. at all? <laughs> oh, 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 goodness gracious. Yes. Um, <laughs> what do I have? I think I've got, my preference is to, if I'm running or whether I'm running or playing, my preference is for like regular every other week game. I feel like running like wow. playing something like every every Friday night is probably yeah. too soon for me, yeah, maybe every yeah. other. But what that does is it lets me slip in two games, right? If one's <laughs> playing every other Friday and the other one's doing every other Friday opposite, oh my god, then I've got two different games that I'm doing. I'm I'm probably wow, oh, I counted it up the other day. In fact, I think I even blogged about it. Um, I think I'm in seven games right now. So that's oh. three, three and a half nights a week that I'm gaming. Um, hey, so and... we are such amateurs. Oh my God. That's a <laughs> lot of gaming. <laughs> I, and, and it is uh, such an incredible variety of systems that I'm doing too. A couple of them are Starfinder, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of them are Pathfinder, as you, as you might expect, but I'm right. playing a, Fantasy game called Thirteenth Age with friends of mine. Torg, okay. which I haven't been able to shut up about this whole interview. Great, right? yeah. Uh, playing some of that. Um, Fate is a great system that's really flexible as yep. far as uh, yep. you don't need to go too deep into the rules because it's really about the storytelling. Mm-hmm. I'm playing some of that. It's uh, so I try to keep my I try to keep a lot of uh, a lot of games that I'm playing in mind. That helps me. Not only does it help me keep it really fresh. Yeah, but if I'm actually in a situation where I'm like, oh, I'm I'm in the middle of a Starfinder game, like, oh, I really wish there was some way for us to overcome this obstacle easier than we are. Yeah. Wait a minute, I'm I'm writing for this Starfinder book. I can include a rule that makes it easier for people in the future to overcome this this kind of thing. Uh, we 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 had a, uh, a game I was playing. I remember a couple of years ago. I just written quite a big chunk of the uh, a, a product called the Giant Hunter's Handbook. And we were fighting a frost giant in game. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, oh, I want to run in, but he's going to, you know, take an attack with his club as I run in. And 
maybe you should run it. Yeah, no, no, maybe I'll run it. I'm like, wait, 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 guys, hang on. I literally wrote the book about fighting giants. Here's my <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> so it's fun to see the play at the table intersect with the writing that I'm doing too. I feel like it's hard to be a really good, consistent writer unless you're also playing. Yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, that that actually amateurs. is it, it, right. Yeah, but it, so so Ron, that that kind of beats the question. It, get, it gets to the question I was I was thinking of asking you. On that note, precisely with the move to second edition, mm-hmm. uh, how's that affected your writing for within the system? The second edition is. Second edition Pathfinder is much more regimented than first edition does. The math is a lot tighter. In this regard, it's a little bit like fifth edition because fifth edition math is very, very tight, right? Two two points of armor class higher is kind of a big deal. And in uh, Pathfinder second edition, a monster that is level nine versus one that's level seven is a substantially bigger deal, right? Okay. So the whole, the bounds are a little bit tighter. I haven't done a lot of writing for Pathfinder first edition and I, in the last couple of years, and mm-hmm. I feel like I'd have a really hard time going back to it mm-hmm. because letting up that very specific regimented design is, is kind of hard. Yeah. It's part of the reason I really like playing games like fate where mm-hmm. it's very much more loose is because that kind of sort of washes the numbers out of my head. Maybe that's yeah, a good absolutely. way to put it. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, so there are some, some game systems that I feel like I'm a substantially weaker writer for just because the, the way that Pathfinder second edition has had me leaning in my writing. Um, but it's, uh, uh, so, but that, that tightness occurs in a lot of games, fifth edition, good fifth edition design is a lot more focused and tighter than, than the players think that's actually a sign of a very robust, uh, well-designed system that the designers work very hard to make the play very easy. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, not, not, not at all. We were, we were just having Brad and I lately have been on this kick of talking about, um, about how, how a really good game is basically a sandbox with rules so that mm-hmm. you can stay in the story as much as you want and the mechanics propel you right they're part of the joy they don't hold you up right right i think one of the things that is you know one of the things saddest for me to hear in any kind of role-playing game or to have to say it myself is hey guys i'm sorry you're not supposed to go that way i got yeah i got nothing for you if you go that way it's it's wrong you got to go follow up on the lead that the banker just gave you right because otherwise Mm -hmm. i got i got nothing Um, so one of the things I try to do in my writing is to give all kinds of little hooks that people Mm -hmm. can take, but taking them propels the story, even if it propels a couple different directions. Yeah. So cool. I could, I could talk about this stuff for hours. I'm just, if you're, if, if you had, now obviously you talked about Torg, which is fascinating to me. I, Jason, we've talked, we've, that's come up in a conversation, not in the context of the podcast, but we've talked about it in the past because okay. it was West End at the time. Um, that's when the light bulb went on. So if you had your druthers, you know, and if you had to pick one project, you know, I don't know how you'd be able to do that. I, well, although I can barely do one project. Um, what do you think you'd focus on? Oh boy. Oh boy. Any, 
any project that I focus on is one that is, to answer your question, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be able to say, yes, I could focus on one project. I can even do it sort of to the exclusion of all else, but I'm doing so with the end in mind, knowing I'm gonna be able to take on other work afterward, right? So I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna I don't yeah. know if this is how you meant it, but the way I'm gonna choose to answer your question yeah. is, if you had to set everything aside, you were gonna devote all your time to preparing one project until it was totally done, what would that be? I, I have got this idea that's been simmering for a while uh, that is that I would really like to be able to, to address. Whether I do it, you know, some sort of fantasy system, fifth edition, or whether I do it in Pathfinder second edition or something else, it's a prehistoric storytelling where all of the characters are either yeah, elves are the el or people who have been living with and among the elves who have a good close tie to the land. And there's these humans who are coming and the humans don't care about anything. They, uh, they domesticate animals and they burn down forests and they're the, these humans are the bad guys. Sounds on brand, right? The, yeah. whole, the whole climate of the world is shifting because the humans are changing. And you can see where some of my current political interests may lie. And as the, as, as the people who have a closer connection with the land, you've got to fix it. And that fixing it is involved not only in a series of stories that tell a narrative path through an adventure, but the way, the way your rules interact with the world. I feel like that could be a really compelling project that I would be able to really sink my teeth into over a long period of time, be really satisfying. That, that Kickstarter would get my money in a heartbeat. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fascinating um, I, yeah. I just think i you know from my perspective just you know before when before we even connected with you looking at the blog um i think it would behoove anyone who wants to even think about writing um or has that has that itch to start you've given people uh, a lot of content out there that they can read through and it's a it's a resource you know so mm -hmm. you know maybe that's a kickstarter now that's your next thing you is, is <laughs> taking the blog into it taking the blog turn it, and, and turn it into it. a book of a uh, book of advice there are a yeah. lot of other really great books out there but i'd be i'd be really pleased to to be able to put mine out there the cobalt guide to game design that uh cobalt yeah, that's really good fantastic mm -hmm. resource mm -hmm. i mean there's a lot of the really good uh really good advice books out there and my my blog isn't as well organized as i might like but there is a word there's a search bar right so you want to know how to find angles in your halls then type in angles and see what comes up or whatever you know okay, you want like to know wiki. what contract contract mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a wiki people can use that as a as a yep, yep. like the like the srd website you know where you could go in mm -hmm. and pull up mm -hmm. and search for material Look for some specific so, yeah. Yeah. see and that that brings us kind of full circle doesn't it because you know ron you've been talking this evening about how the the platforms are a bit different and how do we potentially necessarily write differently for them, be they print and or digital. Um, and Brad, you and I earlier today, actually before, before Ron, you joined us, we were just talking this evening about how um, I just created my first wizard. Um, we haven't had a chance okay. to play him. I, you know, I finally, I finally decided <laughs> I'm all in. We're going to, and I, I went for a walk and did the backstory, but but Brad, you had just said to me a few hours ago now how uh, you have found it in the past few years 
easier, even though you have all of the books, and, and I'm not air quoting all, even though you have all of the books, how it is often easier for you and for many of us to simply get online and, and Google or whatever is available and search for exactly what you need. Because let's face it, even the, the best written core rule books are mazes to navigate when it comes to character creation. It's just, it's a complex process, right? Um, and so here, here we are talking about, you know, games amok. And I, I mean, just all the stuff you've written and you can just use the search bar. And that's something that a printed version, as much as I would enjoy having it, right, can't, can't provide because no index is that responsive. Right. Well, there's a, and there's a place for both. Let me, let me give you a real life example of yeah. my life from hour and a half ago, right before I jumped in, I was doing a wrapping up a little bit of writing that I was doing on the side and uh, high level characters are fighting a bunch of harpies. All right. Well, I want to, I want to get the harpies that they can sing and attract you. I need mm -hmm. to get that language. All right. I jump to an online search bar. that's got a resource with all the stat blocks. I call up harpy captivating song. Okay. Now I've got the words put that into my document. And I think to myself, I oh, well, the standard harpy has clubs and clubs are super boring weapons. I want to give the harpy a better weapon. So I went to the book, the actual core rule book to open yeah. up to the table of weapons and kind of run my finger down right. in a way that you can't really do electronically. Yep. Beautiful. Oh, giving a harpy a glaive would be kind of cool. I could, oh yeah, that imagery of that is really kind of awesome. All right. So I've just in the course of just five minutes of putting together one monster stat block, I'm, I'm using both types of resources. Yeah. So yeah, I think I, definitely there's a place for both. Yes. Yeah, there is. And, and, you know, I think one of the things that Jace, when we started getting back into it, like you said, like we, like we're rolling around to the start is, you know, Pathfinder has a special place just because it was our, our launch point. Um, you know, the material, and this was first edition. I have, I have, to me sitting down there i'm i was really trying hard not to go and grab the book so you see me disappear from the <laughs> from the screen so um that's why you see me looking because i'm it, it's like it's like calling my name but mm -hmm. um speaking of yeah yeah um it, it, yeah. to me you know and i don't have all the books jason just for the record now i might after tonight but not at the moment no. um look for the travel guide at least when that comes out. oh i just well I actually mean, i looked at it, 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 it says on here august 31st i actually okay. had it already. I, I already even i pulled it up on my phone i mean take my money <laughs> yeah. God. yeah yeah um i i oh just just the idea of having a tome you know, like looking mm -hmm. down mm -hmm. at the book because I have the world guide for Lost Omens. Mm -hmm. And I'm think, I was thinking to myself after we talked, I've read it already. I read the books much like Jason, you do, mm -hmm. even if yeah. we can't get to playing. Mm -hmm. But um, I might have to just read it again because that's the one thing I did find going back to an earlier topic is that it's written and done differently than other material. And it's a very compelling read to me as someone who can't play at this moment but it gets the creative juices going to make me want to. So, um, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, it's like, it's like Doritos. You can't just grab one from the bag. Once you, once yeah. your hands in the bag, it's game over. You got to keep, keep reading, yeah. keep going. What's the next yeah. cool, what's the next cool city? What's the next cool yeah. nation? What's the next, you know, organization that's doing something awesome. Yeah. 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 Seriously. Ron, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. This has been absolutely fascinating. And, and I mean, 
enjoyable too but i mean you've like every one of these furtive pauses it's like we want to go in so many different directions i don't know how you do so much of what you do on a regular basis and keep the headspace for all of it i i love doing it and that's the biggest part of it i think is i'm i'll make time for uh for doing all this the more you do it the faster you get at it kind of the better you can get at it and i feel like that the opportunities that i've been given to write you know a lot of thanks and credit to all the people who've given me a shot have made me uh the the uh the real productive freelancer i am today that's wow. you know and, and and we'd love to as as your time permits because you seem to be a little bit busy again good-hearted sarcasm <laughs> that seems to be my theme yeah um we'd love to have yeah. you back because there's so many other even topics that we just kind of like this was a travel guide we can only get to a couple <laughs> pages or a couple right, seconds seriously now yeah. Now we need to, now we have to, we have to have you back if you're willing at some point to talk through, because it's fascinating, oh, sure, this sure. idea of your creative yeah, thank process you. And, yeah. and everything, but you have, you have been very generous your time and we really appreciate it. Okay, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much. I hope folks have heard, I know Jason and I have talked about this online. Um, Ron has such a compelling story. Mm -hmm. Here's a man who was um, an attorney mm -hmm. and uh, wrote on the side. And in mm -hmm. effect, you heard him talk about his day job and then mm -hmm. his night passion job activity. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he flipped it on its head. Yeah. Um, and he absolutely adores what he does. Mm -hmm. And you can hear it. You can for those, see it. You can see it for those of for Jason for and I. For the two of us, yeah. Yeah, we see when we interview folks. Just the joy on his it. face. It was, yeah. Ron, Ron was, Ron just came across as one of the happiest people we've interviewed when we were talking about his work, yeah. you know? And you heard us ask him outright, you know, do you, do you enjoy it? And he's like, yeah, I, of course. And, and you know, he, it's a sacrifice, right? It's a reminder that it's nice to have some money, but it doesn't buy much. No. And again, you know, I, I'm probably overusing this term. He's a prolific writer. He writes within yeah. the context yeah. of his job, but he also writes outside of it. And not only that, you know, you heard we, we, we talked, he still has the ability to function as a lawyer when he needs to or wants mm -hmm. to. Mm -hmm. So uh, probably one of the most diverse you know, in terms of the, the dichotomy mm -hmm. between the two positions. Of where he was and where he is and maybe where he'll go. Yeah. Yes. He's, yeah, I, I think that's right. So speaking of where we're going, if we wander over to the GM corner, Brad, what are you playing or reading uh, or contemplating this week? I think, to be honest with you, um, Two things. One, uh, Morton Kane's Monsters of the Multiverse. Yep. We've been talking about that. Um, and we were talking about that. And I love the fact that it has compiled um, what's even more than the monsters for me, because the title, the title doesn't even encompass everything. It has all the additional races that are out yeah, there. Right. And that was most fascinating to me. And it says right in the book, these have, uh, some of these have appeared in other tomes. Mm -hmm. They're bringing it here and consolidating. Um, you know, so that is, that is one. And we'll talk about that later on. And then the other one, yeah. um, you know what? It's probably similar to the one that you're going to talk about. It probably is. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave that and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to 
turn it and say, okay. what are you? Okay. So, you know, reading? I'm sure you know what my answer is because I texted yes. you a picture of it earlier today. Yes, so you kept did. yours brief. I will keep mine brief. So early today, earlier today, excuse me, earlier today, my shiny new copy of the rules digest for Star Trek adventures arrived at my doorstep. Uh, it, it is fairly fresh off well, actually, literally fresh off the boat, because that's how it works right now with mm -hmm. this printing. Um, I know some of you out there undoubtedly already have the Rules Digest because you bought the tricorder set, but I I was interested in the Rules Digest, yeah. and I've it's been a busy day. Like like you you've had a busier one, Brad, but it's been a busy day. Um, haven't been home much today, and uh, so I I kind of squeezed in a little bit of time. Uh, I I left it upstairs. Uh, in the living room with with the book I'm reading, right? The book book I'm reading, but that rules digest, um, man, Jim Johnson and others, everyone who contributed to that, uh, that is a beautiful tome. I, I, Brad, well, you'll understand this. I can't tell you how happy I was, not merely to see so much text and space and pages devoted to the ideas of the Federation, which again, it's in the players, uh, the players uh, guide, which is beautiful, but but then they go into Starfleet, and it's like ooh, and yes. then then they go to Starfleet Academy, and I nearly <laughs> myself enjoy. I don't have to put an explicit on now, do I? I think we're good. I, I, so, well, I think there might be the connotations of that. Yeah, let's just yeah. let's just all agree to use the benign one. Okay, let's use the benign one. So, as I was saying, I nearly <laughs> myself when I got to this statement that I'm paraphrasing here because I don't remember it verbatim yet. Uh, what most people don't realize or recognize is that Starfleet is a research university. I swear, I almost had a tear trickle down my cheek i i got so excited and, and we had to leave one of my one of my daughters was in a dance performance this afternoon so like i read that and two minutes later it's like all right time to go and i i did i i, I only could grab a few sentences but um man the level of thought and detail um uh guys gals and everyone else behind this book uh, as gorgeous as I think the player's guide is, and it is, it's the most beautiful book on my yeah. gaming shelf. And that's really saying something. Um, but, but this rules digest, this isn't a rules digest. I, I, I mean, why are you selling another core rule book for so little money? Um, yeah. This is incredible. Like, like to the point where it is making me ponder future writing projects, because like I could see taking stuff, not only from the player's guide, but from this rules digest. And I'm talking about like non-fiction academic stuff that it's just so good. So that's what, that's what's, uh, that's what's on my table right now and, and will be for a while. And I assume it happens to be on yours too. Yeah. And I think I showed you um, yeah, you showed me the three of them. The three, the the player's guide, the game master's guide, and the rules digest. It yeah. is, it is, it reminds me in some ways of the Pathfinder. They call them pocket editions. I think of them as paperbacks because they Yeah, right. I call it all paperback. Yeah, yeah, it's the same material. Absolutely. But these are and those are really nice books. Mm -hmm. I mean, well bound mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and everything. Um, the three books, the rules digest and the two guides together, 
there is i mean that's literally three little books that gives you almost the whole universe in one shot granted you can go get shackleton and the and the quadrants and the different divisions that's all good material of course i have it all of course Um, yeah well you know, on that note that like, I, it's funny you say that because, and it might be partly you're to blame because you did hold those three up in front of me and go, Ooh, oh, which was taunting. You do know where I'm going. I, um, I have to say, I started pondering maybe I, okay. So everybody should know this if they don't already, I'm really cheap. Uh, I'm really cheap, but I'm seriously thinking, you know, I think I got to get the game master's guide. Uh, I think you're, I think, you, I think I'm overdue. I think you're cheating though. I think you're, t- you're, you're saying you're cheap as I, I don't, that's oversimplifying. You're, it's pretty close. You are uh, discerning and deliberate. And I mean that in a positive sense where you look for real value for you. And like when it comes to books, you have a finite amount of space on your shelf. Um, only recently has it started to feel finite but you know there's ikea nearby yeah well when you <laughs> preach, preach to the converted my friend yeah yep. um but you know the point being here is, is no, that, i appreciate it you know but i'm still cheap. you if you're going to if i don't buy that um <clears throat> excuse me pasta sorry um but point being is, is that it, you weren't. Gonna Everybody's going to be like all five of our listeners because we're up to five are yeah. going to go back and they're going to be like slow playing that. Like, what did you just call? What did you just say? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be like running the record backwards. Um, I just I just think that you you're not going to buy something just to put it on a shelf. You're not. a Oh, no, you know, no. So so you're starting to see the value. You didn't necessarily know if you were going to be game mastering Star Trek. That wasn't the actual discussion, but I see. Right, right. I think you see the utility of the material, whether you GM or not. Uh, I do. I, and that I, makes I it do. compelling. See, because so. now, yeah, now, now I think, well, I know the two guides are largely the same, but now I'm getting really curious about, well, but I also know that there are disparate chapters in each. And having having read through the player's guide, now starting to look through uh, the the re- rules digest. Now I'm thinking, you know, now I'm kind of curious. Well, how does the perspective change for the writing and editing from the GM? Uh, I'm yeah. just, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And and we'll I, I if I remember correctly, we we know one or two folks that have some involvement in that game, and so. Um, you know, yeah. I think perhaps someday taking that rules digest and yeah. putting it into a larger format would be really, really cool. And hashtag take my money. So yeah, seriously. You know. Oh, b- before we wrap up, not to yeah. leave the wonderful world of Star Trek Adventures, but it is worth saying because we're actually recording this. We're actually finishing this recording peel back the fourth wall the night before we release this episode, which we never do, which we never, but again, it was, it that's because of the of the of the circumstances of the past several days and it and and it's worth it um uh between this episode dropping and the next one the obi-wan kenobi series premieres so just to put every put that on everyone's radar um you you can expect uh you can expect in, in the coming months, we're going to be talking, maybe dedicating an episode to Star Trek Strange New Worlds, and maybe dedicating an episode um, maybe soon, or at least discussion 
to Obi-Wan Kenobi, because you and I are chomping at the bit to see that. Well, and, and in addition to Strange New Worlds, we're going to have Aaron back on, your co-author, and, and yep. we're going to talk about the book and an update. We interviewed him very early on. Yep. Um, yeah, we're, he's looking forward to that. We're, we're, I'm looking forward to, yeah. to doing that with him. Yep. Yeah, we'll update everyone on the book because there are, there are major updates afloat. Um, so yeah, it's really, yeah. it's really great. All right, everybody. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks uh, as much to our audience as to our wonderful guests for this past year plus. Um, it blows our blows our minds every week that so many of you wonderful people are willing to talk to us. Um, we've got two interviews this week. Um, yeah. we, I know we I know we've said this a lot, everybody, but um, we are already booked almost through July in terms of episodes and man, the backgrounds and the diversity of interests and experiences. Um, we're going to be in role-playing. We're going to be beyond role-playing and we're always going to be bringing it back to real life. So as always, be well, stay well. We will see you next week.